Lovers, and welcome to the show. This is your host, as always, from Movie Lovers Unite, John DeGorio, and I just want to sit, talk about something real quick, and that is Audible. What is Audible? I'm so glad that you guys asked. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audio books, ranging from bestsellers like Anne Rice, Stephen King, the list just goes on. Their whole entire catalog, when it comes down to audiobooks, is just fantastic. If you're on on the road and everything, and you want an audiobook, and you want to download it fast, go ahead, go to Audible. You're not going to regret it. They actually have a trial right now that you guys can actually jump on. You can actually go on ahead, go to the link, and it'll bring you up to that trial. And a matter of fact, every month, members actually get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to Daily News Digest from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. Another thing, too, guys, that's not all they have. They also have... They also have finish. If you actually want to go ahead and do some things to actually better yourself for 2021, they have stuff for that too, like finishing more books or becoming a better parent, leader, or a person. How-to books, which is something that everybody seems to grab onto a lot lately, and everything else. So if you guys are actually looking for something to maybe better yourself for 2021, go on ahead, check out those books as well. They have a big catalog. You guys won't regret it. Go ahead, click on the link below in the description notes. Go on ahead. You guys won't regret it. Sign up for that trial period. And always, until next time, stay safe, guys, and enjoy the show. And God bless. podcast episode i have my good okay hello movie lovers and welcome to the show with me tonight i have my good friend tamika with me say hello to everybody hey what's up and tonight we're actually doing our review for evolution of hip-hop this is actually on netflix but before we get into that as everybody knows rapper actor dmx passed away yesterday and wasn't with heart problems Upper respiratory problems or what what did he pass away from yeah they said a heart attack but right. I, I think it was just everything with like drugs and everything else it just finally caught up to him right and one thing about that though is dmx has always been the type of rapper that always and admits to his struggles even in his music because in the songs pray and the prayer uh, skit that he always do- does and on each album, he's praying to God. He's talking about his struggles with certain things, with addiction, with his demons, with the devil, everything else. That's something that I really appreciated from DMX was the fact that, you know, he was a hard edge ap- rapper. But at the same time, he was also dealing with a lot of demons that he was battling. And he also owns up to the fact that he was dealing with a lot of demons inside of him. And stuff like that. That's something I have to, I really admired about him was the fact that he admitted and owned it and everything. And then also, too, the very first time that I heard a DMX song was this in the summer of 2001, I believe, mm-hmm. when Party Up first came up, came up to, up to the scene. And that song was one of my favorite songs that I remember just listening to it on MTV when they used to play music videos <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was like on TRL and wherever you can get your hands on the music video and everything, it was always being played. And 
I really loved DMX. I really loved his beats. He was rough. He was raw. He was he was edge. Mm -hmm. He was straight up edge. And you know, another thing though too that I want to actually mention is the fact that you know this song was actually played on Gone in sixty seconds. Um, with that, um, where uh, Nicholas Cage and them are when they're getting ready to steal the Hummer, mm -hmm. and that song "Party Up" is actually on there. And then, of course, you know you can't forget "X is Gonna Give It to You." That's also another one I liked. Then, of course, "Who We Be," which is actually yeah. part of that song was actually remixed for Creed Two. Oh, Jordan. Really? They did a remix version okay. of that, and I love the remix version of it as well. Um, and, what's my name? What's my yeah. name? name. <laughs> oh, I know his name now. <laughs> it's my DMA's impression. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't do it too much because then my throat will hurt. Right. Yeah, sorry. No, I, I remember from high school um, I think the first time I heard him, I was like, who is this? And it just sounds so rough and in your face. And I was mm -hmm. like, is he barking? And then like, I remember the video and there was a lot of pit bulls. And I was like, oh, this guy seems dangerous. But then like, I'm into the lyrics because they're so hard, you know. And then you had Rough Riders. And I, I think I like Rough Riders and DMS more because they included Eve. And then you saw the introduction of Eve, and then you're like, whoa, you know, she can hang with these guys, like Rough Riders. So, yeah, I appreciate DMX and Rough Riders for that, too, introducing us to Eve. Definitely. Because, to me, I think Eve needed to stick out, and what better way to stick out than to have DMX, who's actually an MC who was actually in your face mm -hmm. and was real about what he was rapping about, Yeah. Too. As a matter of fact, that song that I mentioned about Who We Be was actually part of the Great Depression uh, album that came out back mm. in 2001, I believe. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that's that was actually the very first album that I owned by DMX was that album. And I remember how raw it was. I remember mm -hmm. how in your face it was. I remember mm -hmm. how blunt he was. Mm -hmm. He was out there to prove a point. He was out there. He was there for... The black community and everything and also too to set a point about racism he was about that he was about so many other different levels in his music yeah and everything and like anything that he rapped about he saw and did because it was in his neighborhood and that was something that i feel like is missing in today's music and stuff like that is the fact that you know we have hip-hop we have good, some good artists and stuff like that but we don't have the in-your-face kind of artist and stuff like that like we had back then. Like, for instance, we don't have anybody like NWA anymore. We don't have anyone like Tupac. We don't have mm -hmm. anyone like Biggie mm -hmm. that sticks out anymore to where it, they're out there to prove something and to write about something that's honest and true. And DMX did all that. Yeah. He did a lot in his career and everything. And matter of fact, I like this other song where um, he's actually just talking rapping and praying about God. Mm -hmm. Having I need a hug, or not having I need a hug, but it was something around that area and everything too. I forgot the name of it, but that was another one of those songs that I would always share on my Facebook feed because of the fact that I really loved his lyrics and everything too. But what what else did you like about DMX though? Uh, like you said, John, he was just really raw 
and it just seemed very organic, you know, just like from that style of like Tupac and and other artists we'll we'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, just just coming from it, like this is my atmosphere. This is where I came from. These are my struggles. This is my pain. Feel my pain, you know. Um, just yeah, it, it just made you want to um, give DMX a hug. Yep. <laughs> you know? Speaking of hug, yeah, that name of the song that uh, he came out with, the one I was talking about, was Lord Give Me a Sign. <laughs> Speaking of hug, okay. <laughs> because he wanted God to hug him. He wanted, wow. uh, he wanted him to embrace him and everything and help him with his battles and struggles and everything and with his yeah. demons. So, you know, that's that song you know, is something that I really appreciated from him and yeah. everything. But anyways, yeah. um, going ahead. Tell me, yeah. tell me oh, more. Yeah, I mean, just, <laughs> I don't know. I it, It's just like when I was in high school and I would just get so angry and I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to put all these emotions. I'm a teenager, you know, and, you know, I would listen to rock. But I also listen to rap, too. And DMS was one of those rappers I could just emote through. You know, because he would just be like rough and raw and just get it out in your face. You know, like I'm in pain. I'm like, me too. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, just seeing and then seeing him act too. And I was like, wow, this guy can act. You know, he reminded me of Tupac, actually. Yep. You know, it was like a Tupac reincarnated type of thing for me. I think that's why I drew to DMX too. Um, but yeah, just always hearing about his struggles and I would be like, oh man, he doing this again. And, you know, um, I, I, I don't have an addiction, so I, I don't know. Right. Um, but I was like, man, I hope he get it together soon. And everybody thought, wanted that too. Cause it's like, you, you hold out hope. You're like, come on X, you can do this. You can do this. Let's do this. Let's get together. Get us another album. Let's do this. Come on. Like you were just always rooting for DMX. Exactly. And when he didn't make it, I was like, oh, I felt the same way that I felt that same way, like just grief and loss. Like I did when I found out Tupac died. You know, I was like, man, he has so much ahead of him. And DMX did too. And and the last time I saw DMX was on, because um, I watched Wendy Williams' show. Mm-hmm. And he did an interview with her like a couple months ago. And he was just talking about um, how he was getting his life together and, you know, just uh, trying to be a better father for his kids. And he got all these projects going on and his movie. Yeah, I forgot the name of the movie, but he did a movie. Um, it's probably on Amazon Prime, but I have to figure it out what it is. But yeah, he was just talking about just the road ahead of him, and he's excited, and I was excited. I was like, all right, DMS is back. <laughs> you know, and then just when I heard he died, I was like, oh, man, I just, I really thought he was going to make it, you know, because he made it the other times. So when somebody goes through a struggle like that, you think, well, surely they can make it. They seem invincible, you know? And I always have that um, expectation, like with Robert Downey Jr., like all the drug struggles he went through. And I'm like, 
you know, surely X can make it as well because Robert made it. So I don't know. Well, it's just like when uh, Tupac got killed. Yeah. Biggie was saying, well, you know, Tupac is going to go on ahead. He's going to get shot. And then he's going to go back in the studio and write about it. Yeah. He's going to be okay. Then the realization of the fact that Pac is not okay. He's not no. coming back from this. It's the same realization with DMX in a sense. Yeah. You know, we all root for him because I know I did. I was always rooting for another album, another comeback. Here's the thing. When artists or actors, actresses are battling with something with their own demons, I'm always rooting for them to have a comeback mm-hmm. and everything. I, I'm not the type of person that shames somebody for her addictions. Because I actually had somebody in my family that had addictions. Oh, so yeah. for me to do that, I'll be hip- very hypocritical tor- towards myself if I wound up judging somebody for their addictions. You know? Yeah. So, you know, I was actually hoping. I was rooting for him. I wanted to come back. I wanted to actually see DMX say, get at me. Come on. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to go on ahead. It's been years since I've done another album. I'm ready to go on ahead. Let's do some beef wars. Let's go on ahead and do something to where I can get my recognition back. Because I have a lot to say. But sadly, this happened. And now we just have his legacy and everything. Because I feel like he did a lot further than what Tupac managed to do. But man, imagine if Tupac and him... I could just see them collaborating. Because they're two real artists, to be honest. That album would be fire. Exactly. Whoa. And and, um, I guess... uh, is it a couple months ago or earlier this year or last year he did um versus it's like this versus battle with um snoop so him yeah, i remember that like a versus battle like a freestyle kind of thing yeah right? yeah okay and then um on snoop's instagram he posted like you know dmx led them in prayer you know like before the wow. versus battle and then they was like let's do this so yeah that's pretty awesome yeah so, uh, Beyond the Law with Steven Seagal. That was a, one of the ones that DMX w- did. <laughs> oh, no. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, he actually did one with Steven Seagal. But oh, Unchained would actually yeah. have to be another one that I really liked with a minute. Yeah. Uh, well, that was a good one. Exit Wounds. Mm-hmm. Romeo Must Die. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Those were the standouts for me. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, it's not like Oscar-worthy stuff, but it was good stuff. It was good yeah. stuff that he acted in yeah. and everything. And um, Unchained, I want to say, also had Tom Arnold in it and a couple of other actors that actually helped balance him out a little bit with some of the struggles that he had with his uh, acting and stuff like that. But it was really good. Um, Exit oh, was first on Steven's DMX movie, sorry. What's that? I'm trying to look up that last DMX movie. Wait. Oh, yeah, Cradle to the Grave is the name of the movie. My bad. Yeah, Cradle to the Grave with Jet Li was the one I was talking about, not Unchained. Unchained is a total different movie. Um, but, yeah, Exit Wounds um, was pretty good. But Cradle to the Grave with Jet Li is the, the standout for me as far as DMX goes and stuff like that. I thought it was an excellent combo between that. Cradle to the Grave is definitely a great movie as well, to be honest with you. But, yeah. Those are the movies that I have to say that is really good for DMX and everything. Um, what did you find out? Yeah, I I still can't find it, but I know he did, he did a um a movie, but um 
yeah, I'm, we'll probably okay. back to everybody on that. <laughs> okay. So let's go on ahead. Now that we, you know, we did the did our little tribute to him and everything, and you know, D, DMX. I'm actually happy at everything that you gave us over the years. Your discography is just awesome. Mm-hmm. So if anybody who hasn't heard of DMX or is looking to get into the rap game or whatever and want to take it seriously, go on ahead and listen to some of DMX's stuff. I'm sure that you can find some inspiration in some of his songs and his, yeah. his material. Yeah. But with that being said, let's go into season one of Evolution of Hip Hop. All right. So here's the thing. I love I love evolution of hip-hop i remember this reminds me of watching vh1 behind the music kind of thing with these documentaries and i'm just i'm just eating it up because it's like me revisiting stuff that i learned from my high school from my high school days i'm just sitting on the couch watching this but there's more in depth to it there's more stuff to actually talk about instead of like a 30 minute or an hour show you're actually getting about a four hour show in a four four episode sit, setting which i really appreciate yeah um Here's the thing, though. I love the mixtapes. I love the whole entire deal where how mixtapes were formed, how hard it was actually to get yourself noticed. And people were just going on ahead buying mixtapes, trying to get anything that they can Mm -hmm. off the streets of New York and everything and trying to get themselves known. And the drive that they would go through just to go ahead and get themselves known was just fantastic. And it was also inspirational. You know, that's something that I really enjoyed. Yeah. But yeah, I think that um that was something that I have to say that I enjoyed about the, the first episode. But there's plenty more stuff that we can actually dive into. What else would you say is um I so I think this came out in I wanna say twenty eighteen. <laughs> and um I, I just happened to check it out and I was like what is this, you know, and then it, I think 2020 was his last season so far, but hopefully they'll come back. Um, but yeah, I, I like each season It's four seasons. So with each season, I like how they take from basically the evolution of hip hop. Like you start with the foundation of hip hop, which was in the Bronx. And I, I like the, um, the background of culture that they had at the time, like in the seventies in New York, it was disco and that's all it was, which is disco. And I think one of the rappers feature was given some background information. Like everybody thought in New York, you know, that people in New York were rich and they danced and they party and they snorted cocaine and it was disco. But he was like, in the Bronx, you didn't see that part where there was poverty and lots of fires, which I was trying to figure out why there were so many fires. But okay. (laughs) And he said it was like uh, Beirut. It's like a war zone, like just Mm -hmm. crime, poverty, fires, and just like hell all around. And I guess from this, there was a local DJ named DJ Cool Herc. And he created the first um, hip hop party. So with hip hop not being coming into form yet on record, he would play like James Brown and soul funk music. And then kind of 
um, play the the break in between, like just the drum solos and everything else on the two turntables. Right. He would play this um, at parties. Um, and I think the first party they mentioned was, I want to say August 11, 1973, in one of the housing projects in the Bronx. And they go into just interviewing him because he was still alive at the time. I think he still is. Um, they just go into interviewing him and what his thought process was to come up with it. And he was like, there was nothing out there. It was just disco, and he wanted to play against that, and, and he wanted to get out of the kids, you know, I guess to dance and party and have fun. But everything kind of is like, um, uh, I don't know why I have to say evolution. <laughs> <laughs> That's how everything was, because the people at his parties were hip-hop pioneers, like Melly Mel and Curtis Blow, I think, was at his party. Right, and, I think Common though too. Am I wrong or am I right about that? Or was uh, that somebody no. else? Yeah, I don't think Common was there. No, but it was someone else. They were there, and they were getting inspired by the beats and everything else he was playing and the atmosphere. And then from there, it turned into them. These artists, um, um, Africa Bambata was the other one. So okay. it, it went from just we learn about Cool Herc and the block parties and then him just inspiring other DJs. And then it goes into Africa Bambata and how he inspired him to just, you know, do music because Africa Bambata was a, a kind of like a local DJ first he, before he made records. Um, the funny part for me when they interviewed Africa Bambata was that like all the love he got from the neighborhood, he'll just have random people like, yo, Africa, what's up? You know, and that one guy that kind of got on my nerves when they were like trying to get deep into, you know, how he came, how Africa came into being and all this other stuff. This guy was on his phone like, yo, I got to come in here and I got to say, Africa been bonded, great. Duh, 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 duh. And, I'm just, uh, uh, uh. and I was like, can you, can we like edit? Can we? security <laughs> you know and I was like I'm trying to get into African Bambaataa's story just taken away and then he came back John he came back he like oh I just yo I love you man if you think about it, he's like the DJ Khaled of that time period. This is DJ Khaled. He does not add anything to anything at I all. That's like, what he reminded me of to be honest with you. The hell is this guy interrupting our interview with Africa Bambaataa, okay? Because right. the interviewer was, uh, I guess he's like an underground rapper. Yeah. I think his name was Shad Rack. I don't know. It's something funky. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, long story short, from for that part, I just appreciated the, just the foundation, like how everything forms for something. Like first cool Herc, right? And then from Cool Her, you got Africa Bambata. And then it then it kind of shifted back to Melly Mel, who is part of Grandmaster Flash and the Furious yep. Five. Um, and then Curtis Blow, just everybody who was at that party who who kind of made it that we know of, they were just talking about how they were inspired by Cool Herc. And it seems like he 
Cool Hurt was kind of mentioned more like throughout this series, just like you could see that influence that he had. Most definitely. And, you know, I think agree with you, though, too, that one guy was just getting on my nerves, You're just interrupting him. Wow. You know, I'm like, I wish you would just go away and go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> because he didn't add anything to that at all. No. But, you know, I definitely have to say this, like, the influences of the disco era is what generated hip-hop, though, too, to go even further. Mm-hmm. Because if you remember, I think that if I'm correct, um, if I'm not, tell me. Okay. But wasn't that when the DJ was actually running the disco stuff backwards? Like the beats backwards to make it work and let it flow a lot better instead of it being just another disco track and playing the drums set differently? Uh, I I think so. I, I know that they were talking about, and this is what I like about the documentary too, like yeah, there's a cultural significance and they give you the background, but they go into like how B-Boys started and breakdancing and just how how they found uh, a beat and whatever else. Like right. it, it just dissects everything. But yeah, I think from what I remember, they were talking about when the record plays, there's a, a, a break. Like yep. you have just the drums and everything else before the singer sings again. And they would just use that, um, just kind of like it's some kind of way they kind of turned it where on the turntables where they would just focus on the break, just that part in general, not the the artist or anything, just the right. instrumental and the and the break of the music. Um, I know that's what Cool Herc did, and I think a couple others did too. And yeah, they they use disco records and um, just the soul music. And I was just um, amazed at all the records they use that they could just turn into something else. Like African Bambada was talking about when he was um, invited to the. I always get this mixed up. I think it's the downtown parties where there's the artsy. Yeah, it's the downtown parties. Okay, white people. Yeah, artsy (laughs) white people and the punk rockers. He would play like um, music that he couldn't play in the hood, like Elvis Presley and B-52s. And I'm like, how do you make that like hip hop? Like, how do you, (laughs) like in my mind, I'm like, I... This is just amazing to me that it, he, it's really amazing how these yeah. DJs' minds flow. Because here's okay, the thing: yeah. because if I went and said, "Okay, let me go into this rock world and see what I can find from that world," mm-hmm. and then let me go on ahead and put a little bit of a, a swing on the um, disco era and put them together and see how they clash and everything, and then mix it together and have the beats and stuff like that to it. My mind would, uh, to be honest with you, I can't. My mind is still mind-boggling over it. Yeah, to be honest with you, because my brain cannot comprehend stuff like that. It goes to show you how much talent that these rappers, these DJs, actually have, and how much of an influence DJs actually have over other rappers. How much of an influence they have, because they're actually the ones who makes them sound good, depending yeah. on the piece that they choose. And everything. Don't get me wrong. You can have good lyrics on paper, but if your beat is not good, your whole entire 
thing is going to fall flat. Your whole entire yeah. bars are not going to end up being being meaningless. I've actually oh. listened to rap albums where the the lyrics flow good, but the beat is off center to the point where it takes me out of the song. Mm, yeah, I'm like, nah, I can't do this. And as a matter of fact, I even did this about. I remember I sat the album down. I'm like, okay, I'll come back to this later if I want to. Then five years later, I came back to the album again because people's uh, taste changes over yeah. the years. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe maybe I'll give this thing another chance. Nope, still the same thing. <laughs> I can't do it. This album is not for me. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. Um, DJs to me, they seem like the heartbeat of of any album. Like if if the beats are off, then I don't care how good the lyrics are. It's just it's not going to work for me, you know, because that's the first thing people hear. Unless you can do like um, an acapella type rap and then your lyrics are so good, you don't even need the beat, which you can do. But I need a beat. Like Elia Kuja said, right. I need a beat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's, uh, let's go on and talk about this, though, too. Now, the whole East Coast, West Coast thing. And uh, this is something that I found interesting because it's like the mafia, if you think about it. Like, one side can't stand the other side because the other side is thinking that they're better than the other side on both levels. It's egos, basically. Mm-hmm. And everything, instead of saying, hey, look, I'm from the same game that you are. I'm spinning the same thing. We just come from different backgrounds. And we're using different types of beats. And here's the thing. The beats in New York are more heavier. And everything it's more in your face than uh west coast beats that's just my especially if you look at brooklyn brooklyn beats are like right in your face especially comp especially other um places in new york city and stuff yeah. like that so with west coast beats they're more of your chill kind of music mm-hmm. if you think about it because look at how how everything flows with snoop dog and look at the gin, everybody's sipping on gin and juice. That mm-hmm. that beat just flows smoothly, coming out of Snoop Dogg. And you know, there's a difference between those two, um, the, those two coasts between West Coast, the West Side and the East Side part of it. And then, of course, this whole entire thing with Biggie and Tupac, though, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean it. To understand those uh, different beats, too, you have to go back to just how hip-hop was forming back then, too. Like, like when the East Coast, you know, because the East Coast was first, right? So right. everybody knows that hip-hop originated in the Bronx. Or if you're in the New York, you're probably like, no, it's blah, 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 whatever. Um, <laughs> so you you have all that gritty beats because they were kind of um, innovative, you know, like Grandmaster Flash. He mm-hmm. he um, he was talking about how he broke the rules with vinyl, and I have a vinyl player, so I, I was always taught don't touch the record. And Grandmaster Flash touched the record, and he found out he can control the the sound better to do the DJing. Like he just, they came up with innovative ways, you know. Right. How going to the West Coast, um, there was techno music was still there. Like techno, disco, Prince, 
all the other stuff was still dominant. While New York was kind of coming into uh, what hip hop is, they were kind of coming out of that disco era. And it seemed like the West Coast was kind of behind a little bit. So it, <laughs> I don't know how far you got, but well, I just found it funny that um, they were describing the scene like, you know, why we got to be angry? We 30 minutes from the beach. You know, like right. why we gotta be angry. What do we have to yeah, do? Yeah, why are we angry? About? What are you angry about? And they, their perception of New York, like why are they so angry? You know, they need some sun and some beach. You right. know, they they the beach. and then like um like you saw um uh Compton, the Compton movie, right? Yeah, I saw, I saw yeah, so they talked a little bit about that, just Dr. Dre and um the you know the other guys <laughs> I forgot Z-E. their name already. Yeah, yeah. Yvonne, before Easy E. It was like Dr. Dre and two other guys. And they they were talking about how they just talked about parties and women because they wanted to get laid, right? right? So it was just like this techno beat. And then they were dressed up and you see Dr. Dre in like this silk doctor's uniform. It was like purple. And he was just like you know, DJing and singing, and it was like, uh, 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 you know, just stuff like that. And Ice T was talking about it too, like, you know, just th- that whole era was really laid back, you know. Right. So it, it shows in the music as well, because that's where it came from. It just came from like a laid back era, like a Prince party type thing. And plus, they were by the beach, like they said, what right. we got to be angry for? <laughs> exactly. But although if you come from like the crew from NWA comes from like the, where Ice Cube comes from. Yeah. You have every right to be mad because he came oh, from yeah. like the rough edges of Cali. Yes, exactly. The rough edges. Like not not those edges the other people were talking about by the beach like right. Compton. They weren't right. that close to the beach. You know, all they saw was poverty and everything else. They were pretty much like New York, if you think about yes. it. They were similar right. to each other. Yes. If you actually think about it. Mm-hmm. When you yeah, they're two different uh states. Yes. Two different towns, but they both have similarities to each other. To where, you know, you have com you actually have the Bronx, which is actually the bad side of New York, I believe. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that, and Queens and all that other stuff. So you have that neighborhood. So therefore they actually have if, if people would actually listen to stuff from Compton, they can actually probably say, hey, look, I understand what they're rapping about because that's actually what I'm rapping about. But no, instead, they go on ahead and make up a, rap, a record about Tupac and everything because they didn't like how what they were doing. They didn't like that they were uh, how the West Coast was doing things because it wasn't like as in, in, your, as in your face as compared to them. Because they were talking about baseball bats, killing someone, being real gangster and everything. Yeah. And that's something else, though, too, that even with Suge Knight and everything, he would not allow anybody in Death Row Records unless you're like a straight up gangster. Mm-hmm. And, pre- not pre- and here's the thing. I can actually respect Suge on that, though, in a sense, because of the fact that you can actually tell. Hold on. I'm going to get to this. And I'm, gonna, <laughs> okay. I'm making my point. I'm making my point. All right. <laughs> but it's the fact is this: if you're gonna say that you pull the gun out on somebody, this Ja Rule is a perfect example of this. 
I'm using Ja as a okay. Uh, all right. Because here's the thing: if you go on ahead and say you pulled out a gun on somebody, and then they find out later on that that person went to private school and everything, that makes you a liar. Not only that, but in your songs, though, too, people can tell as an audience, someone that's listened to your music can tell somebody that you're not being 100% honest and you're not, all you care about is trying to make yourself known and being publicly known as someone that you're not and you're a fake. So that's what Ja Rule did and Ja's career went down the to uh, the tubes after 50 and Eminem got done with him. <laughs> and everything. Oh. Which was the song Wingsta. That's where Wingsta comes from. Oh my from. gosh, man. And, and everything because Ja Rule went to uh, private school. He didn't yeah. go to no, and here he is saying that he went to, and so therefore that goes back to should and everything. He would not allow anybody into the whole entire thing because if you weren't 100% on what you were saying, you don't belong with them. You're trying to act like you're gangster, but you're not really gangster. That's like being a gangster on a keyboard on the internet saying that, oh, I'm a gangster. I'm going to, you know, and talking about the smack. And then when you get to that person, you're not, you're just quiet as a church mouse. So mm -hmm. therefore, you're not really proving anything but ignorance. Yeah, yeah, that so, that seems to be the whole theme. Of, uh, another overarching. There's so many themes in this documentary. Mm -hmm. You could write like a hundred papers, but <laughs> you could. <laughs> that's true. I if mean, I was, if I was a major so, in music, I would definitely be like, okay, yeah. every single day would be a new report. <laughs> and in some colleges, they do have like um, hip hop studies right. and like Kennesaw State. I think they're they formulated a hip hop studies class, which is pretty awesome. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, that's the theme of all this is like be true and real with your experiences and. Um, like I bounce back and forth, um, but I know when. So we were talking about rap coming into being, and it wasn't hitting vinyl yet. And you know there were music groups that came out, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, and then you had Cold Crush Brothers and the Fantastic Five, and they would just do rap battles. And they were talking about there were all these talented rappers back in like the late seventies and eighties. Yeah, but nobody was on wax yet, you know, and or some didn't even want to be on wax because to them the art form was all that mattered. And the first, I guess, hip hop group that came into being was Sugar Hill Gang with Rapper's Delight, which everybody knows the lyrics to. And going back to your point with being real, uh, Big Hank, Big bank hank or something like that he stole the lyrics some lyrics from other rappers who were um who who didn't go into wax he just kind of took from their lyrics and he took from um i think his grandmaster cass he came to him and asked him i need help with rap blah 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 and so anyway he stole from their lyrics and that's the downside of just not making it to wax like you have people that steal your stuff, and you know, to the mainstream audience that's just hearing rappers' delight for the first time, they're like, "Wow, this is great! This is amazing! I never heard anything like this before." But like, how are you supposed to go and say that's my lyric? But the mainstream doesn't care; they just care about what's out, you know. And and rap was getting commercialized, and then you had um, Rodney Dangerfield coming out with a rap song. 
<laughs> all these ridiculous. What's it, What's it called? I can't get no respect. Yeah, and he had all this ridiculous stuff coming out. Even Joe like, Pesci had a rap album. Yeah, see, you had stuff like that, and and like one one guy was saying, rap was about to go into like a fad, like a decline. And then you had well, um, well yeah, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm yeah, sorry. go ahead, go but ahead. That just proves your point, though, on what P Diddy was doing after the death of, you know, after the death of Biggie and everything. It went into the fashion stuff. <laughs> you think about it, and that's where everybody was criticizing him mm -hmm. about was the fact that hey, look, you're going. It went from being gangster, then mm -hmm. you know, I understand there was some darkness and everything too, especially when you look at the gangster rap stuff, the outlook mm -hmm. with Suge. Then, of course, with Death Row Records having Crips inside their whole entire system and things like that. And that was pretty much the end of Death Row Records after that happened. Okay. And, you know, and I can understand P. Diddy's point of view is like, OK, there's been so much darkness. We need to lighten it up a little bit, okay. you know, because this is what Biggie would probably have wanted. Yeah. Is the fact that we need some lightness in that darkness, and then next thing you know, it after that Faith Evans song, um, it, and matter of fact, that's actually one of my favorite songs with P Diddy and them is uh, "I'll Be Missing You." Yeah, is one of my favorite songs, and it's actually the original one is "All Everywhere I Look, I'm Watching You" by yeah. the Police. Police, yeah, and that's actually one of my favorite songs from both artists. But you know, I understand where he was going with that, and I actually love that whole entire likeness to P Diddy. But at the same time, he was also getting ridiculed because of the whole entire fashion statement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a good point too. Just you you start to see all these stages of rap that rap has or hip hop has gone through. Um, you know, like like going back to like the fads and everything else. And then Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five put out the message, and like rap was kind of getting to like a party stage. Yep. Eight like seventies into eighties, and then when they put out the message, he was just talking about like, um, you know, a child is born without a state of mind, and and broken glass everywhere, people pissing in the roads, and they just don't care. I paraphrase that. Sorry for all the. <laughs> Hip hop heads, but yeah, he was just talking about the reality, and that reality that that put into that put another uh, paradigm, like another shift. Like, mm -hmm. okay, rap can be about reality and what you see, right? And right. just you just hopping back to what you were talking about, because I know we only have two hours, or. <laughs> We're, we're getting through it and we can't course, get everything in, but it's so good. It's such a good documentary. You know we might actually split this up though, to be honest with you, because how much I love this. I love talking about music. That's actually one of my other passions aside from movies. Oh yeah. Music oh, has yeah. always been my passion though too. So we can, we can always, long time. to be honest with you, we can always do another evolution of, uh, of hip hop. Yes, please. So, thank this you. Is not gonna, yes, because this is not going to be our first one. I want to do many more of this, of these, yeah. until we get down to finish with season four. Oh, yeah. So don't feel don't feel like that we're pushing for time or whatever and things <laughs> like that. We're gonna be, Let me just get all this stuff out of my chest. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. I want you to reserve yourself a little bit until oh, we do the next oh. one. Because seriously, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of meat here that I want to actually eat. So, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? I don't want to just like overfill myself with the buffet, you know? I don't want to yeah. just scorch myself with it. But yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead. 
But, you know, one of my favorite things, and I have to own up to this, though. I can't stop, won't stop. That's actually one of my favorite lyrics, though, in that song. <laughs> to be honest with you, because of the fact what I do, what anybody does who has a dream or passion is the fact that, you know, you got to go on ahead. you got to scrap with everybody else that is in that community, whatever you're doing and passionate about. You have to scrap through every single person to make yourself known and make yourself fully out there. Mm -hmm. Everything. For me, can't stop, don't stop. For me, it means keep on doing what I'm doing, pushing myself even further, have passion with what I'm doing, and have care about what I'm doing and everything, and focus on the price at the end of the road. Yeah. And I love that line. I've always loved that line since I first heard the song back in the nine and early 2000s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. P. Diddy was a, a, a sample king. And going going back to the because this goes back to the the foundation and Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. I know he sampled the message for I think that song that you're talking about. Oh, you're on mute. There we go. <laughs> but no, I do I do believe that uh Grandmaster Flash, they give him the okay with it and everything too, and did some. Um, yeah, that's another interesting point. Some of these rappers were sued <laughs> for all the sampling that they did, <laughs> and I was like, when are they gonna get sued? And then it came like in the eighties. Yep. And they're like, oh crap, I guess we're gonna get sued now. But it was some good beats, and I was like, yeah, these are some good beats. All right, and then it's like they they. They didn't just sample from hip hop. I well, I like the fact that they sample outside of hip hop. You know, like I think I want to say it was De La Soul. Somebody sampled from the Turtles, and I guess that was a '60s band. But yeah, yeah that's like yeah. a '60s band, the Turtles, with "So Happy Together" was one of their songs. Yeah, they got sued. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you you have that stage of hip hop. But if we're going into like the West Coast, East Coast thing. Um, I I enjoy that they put both um, emphasis on Tupac and Biggie's um, foundations. Me too. You know, like Tupac, of course he he just came out his mother's womb raising hell because his mom was a uh, in the Black Panthers. Right. Uh, I think his dad's a Black Panther too, so it's like, hey, and he's a Gemini. Oh my God, sorry, Gemini's, but he, he just was raising hell. And I like the fact that, um, if like he was about to just be a leader of the Atlanta Black Panthers, if he didn't get a record deal, and it was Digital Underground that came in and. You know, somebody asked them, you know, can this guy got a lot of talent? Can you just take him on the road with you? And I like Tupac's humbleness. He was like, I do anything. I clean up. I'll, I'll be the, um, what do you call those people? You know, the people that carry equipment and all the other stuff is escaping. Yeah. Yeah. Roadie. Yeah. Yeah. He was pretty much their roadie. <laughs> So yeah, he came from those humble beginnings. Um, yeah, and just in the early 
albums that Tupac had, like Tupacalypse and all the other albums, he seemed like more of a conscious rapper. You know, like Brenda has, like Brenda got a baby. And he was just um, digging into the female psyche of a teenage pregnant girl and, and what she's going to do with the baby. And I, I, those lyrics are still chilling, you know, um, this teenage pregnancy. And, and then he was in movies and, you know, then you have above the rim and he was just like kind of rising slowly right. to the top. And, and then he made that shift, you know, after he got shot a couple of times. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> something was always going on with him. It's like there was no way he could have survived. Like he got shot in the head, right? And um, then there was that misunderstanding, right? And at the studio, right? Yeah, yeah, there was a big misunderstanding because of the fact that don't forget, Tupac also got arrested. So he, uh, two, oh yeah, rape charges. Yeah, it was rape charges. He, it was not looking yeah, good. You know, by the police, right? And then he comes out of the gate swinging, ready for vengeance. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, you have Biggie who's going on ahead and made up an album that was based off. Well, it wasn't based off of that because Biggie had no clue that this was going to even happen or anything like that. Remember? Yeah. yeah. And it was a big, huge misunderstanding. It's just the timing was bad. Yeah, they were saying back then it took records a lot longer to come out. And when Biggie did that, um, Who Shot Ya? Yeah. Did that before um, the shooting at the studio with Tupac. And after that came, that shooting came out, it was just bad timing. That that um, that song, Who Shot Ya, came out. And that was that's what fueled all the rumors. Like, oh, maybe Biggie had Tupac shot. You know, and the real uh, and Lil C's, they interviewed him and he was in the studio and some other people who were there cleared it up and they were just saying that there was just some random robbery and Lil C's was in there and, and I think Tupac came because he wanted to get he was trying to get paid for something he did yeah. Biggie was up doing an album on like let's say the fourth floor of this big studio, right? And this group came in to just rob everybody. And they were robbing Tupac and beat him up. And then Lil C saw it. And then they, I guess they put Lil C's at gunpoint. Like, you didn't see nothing. And he went up to Biggie and he was like, yo, they're they're beating up your boy Pac. Because Tupac and Biggie were friends. Like, right. he used to just hang around with the crew. And he went, Biggie went downstairs and I think by then, that's when the police came and they were just like, everybody under arrest and, and Tupac didn't know what was going on. And for some reason, he was, so he was in the hospital and he got shot multiple times. And then that rape charge. So I think yep. he went to jail. But then Biggie said that he couldn't really get in contact with Pop to say, you know, what's going on and why are you angry? I would have found a way, like a carrier pigeon or something. <laughs> I would have found a way to talk to my friend. Like, you know a- what? He needed to talk to Lawrence Fishburne from uh, John he, Wick. He needed to just make a phone call, but I guess he thought in his head, Pop just being Pop, he'll cool down. 
I'm like, no, somebody like Tupac, like you do something to him and you don't sit down or try to reach out to him. He's going to go from zero to 10. He's going to be like, oh, y'all. Exactly. Protecting me. Like at that moment, Pac thought everybody was an enemy. Yeah. And he had, like you said, he had that frustration with like the, the rape charge. He got shot. Uh, he got robbed, the police, and he would he has the blood of a, a black panther because <laughs> his right. mom was a black. He's just born angry. Right. <laughs> that sounds like a good movie, though. Born, born <laughs> angry. Tupac story. Angry. But you know what, though? I mean, I can't blame Tupac for being angry because he yeah. doesn't know what's going on or anything like that. But I feel like Biggie should have reached out to him a lot sooner. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Like, just, even if, like, the record people are like, you know, just let Pop calm down and let's just do this. I'd be like, no, no, no. Let me just talk to my friend because I know right. how he is. He's crazy. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> you know what, though? You know how we talked about the West Coast and East Coast not getting along? We've seen these two people from two different streets getting along. Two yeah. opposite of the spectrum, getting getting along. I'm gonna say this. I think Shook might have had something to do with it because you have two people of the opposite ends getting along. He's caused some type of. Ain't gonna have Shook night come after me. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Teresa. <laughs> but this is just me speculating. Okay, there's not no proof or whatever. This is me speculating. <laughs> yeah, he did it. <laughs> I, I feel like he did. I mean, think about it though. There was division because of what happened. There's division amongst them now. Mm-hmm. And now that he's got them divided, he's now focusing more on Tupac. And then going, he's like Paulie Walnuts from The Sopranos, just aggravating it, he's trying to tag it on the war. <laughs> just trying to ag on the war, man. That's what I'm saying. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But, but also, like when NWA came out, uh, there was already this East Coast West Coast thing, but it it was brewing out of the surface for years, and it didn't come to a head until Tupac Biggie, True. you know, and the infamous Source Awards, where Suge Knight just had to get on stage and be like, "Yo, if you want to be part of my record label, and you don't want the producer all up in your album, dancing in your album, and your video, looking at you, Puff, he might as well say that. Right, exactly. And then I'm like, what is he thinking? What is he doing? And then the crowd, he's thinking, he's thinking along He's not thinking. All he's thinking of is a line of a of a gangster. If you think yeah. about it, it's like. But not only that, but I'm like, I'm thinking to myself. Wait a second. You're just. Uh, here's the thing. You just ended up uh, doing something that you said that you uh, that you don't do is accept other pe- outsiders that haven't yeah. picked up a gun or anything. So now all of a sudden, now you were thinking about maybe possibly accepting them in. That's what I was thinking. Oh yeah. Because, okay, so I'm thinking he's thinking, okay, well, Puff is doing it. Maybe he might actually benefit me too now. So therefore, I'm going to be like Puff because it's actually working for him. And that's that's just me speculating. I don't know if you got the same concept or whatever, but that's the way my mind was thinking that maybe he was trying to be like Puff at that time where 
is now trying to accept people other as outsiders in that could probably bring up the game a lot more. I don't know. That's just I me. I think you're just starting shit. Like he's yeah. a shit starter. Like he he probably saw like what two because he's the one that bailed Tupac out of jail. Tupac was still in jail for those rape charges. And he probably heard what happened to Pac and and talked to Tupac and heard Tupac like I don't know who did this to him. Maybe him or somebody else put in Tupac's head. It probably was your boy Biggie because he ain't talked to you, so he probably did it. And yep. Pac, you know, Pac, he's like, yo, that's probably you know, he he's like because <laughs> look on Pac's face, it's like, whoa, no, you were right, man. <laughs> no, oh, and I wish Tupac would have reached out to Biggie too. Like you can get calls and be like, Biggie, what's up? Like I, I did you do this or not? Like I wish they would have learning about what really happened now, like years later, I wish they would have communicated with each other because they're friends, right? I wish they would have said, Did you do this? Like the lack of communication is what killed both of them, from my point of view. Just just if you would have squashed that, what happened at the studio, there wouldn't have been like these East Coast, West Coast, plus Vibe magazine is to blame too, with the magazine it up like even more. West Coast versus East Coast. Like it, if, but yeah, if it was just Biggie and Tupac talking to each other, you know, like trying to clear the air and not having these people in their head, you know, and all these other factors, I think they both would have been alive. Right. And I feel like Snoop was trying to calm the air a little bit, though. No, he wasn't. He was angry. He was angry. <laughs> I, just wanted, I just want to get a little bit of a rise. That in. was before he got the good weed. Now he's very calm, calm Uncle Snoop. But he didn't have that good, good weed because he's just still an angry young man. Because <laughs> he got true. up and he was like, like Snoop was saying, because Snoop's in this too, of course, because he's part of this beef. So he was saying after um, what, like Suge said that, and then they won for um, the Chronic, right? Him and yeah, Dr. it was the Chronic. And he was just pissed, and like he was hearing all these boo. He probably was hearing all this stuff, like West Coast shit, blah blah blah. And he got up on stage, and Dre was about to sell, and he was like, "Y'all ain't got no love for the West Coast. What fuck y'all then?" I was like, "Oh my god, come on." <laughs> Don't forget, there were twenty-five-year-old guys with a lot. Yeah, of they were young, high, and he, you know, high, strong energy, crip or blood or whatever he was. So he was a crip, I believe, because yeah, he was a crip. Yeah, he was young, and he wasn't on that like good, good weed like he is now. I don't so, know. Whenever he's talking about sports, though, he gets angry. You do not want to see Snoop Dogg when he's angry, especially yeah, when he's like you might as well put whenever he says cuz you might as well just go ahead and lay down on the floor dead because you that, that'll be I, it. I'd rather see him argue about sports. Me too. He's just I don't want to die over it though. He's I don't just an angry old man that you know that the weed didn't kick in yet. So that's the difference between Snoop now and Snoop then. Right. Plus the perm. He didn't he don't have a perm anymore. That's another thing though that the East Coast didn't like was the fact that they all had jerry curls. Yeah. Because you said maybe they just didn't like it because we came over jerry curls. 
Right. Because remember, there was like a line in one of the songs where the guy, the rapper is just standing in front of uh, Ice Cube talking about his Jerry curls. Oh, yeah. Um, whatever that rapper name was, um, he set off that whole um, like that was in like the 80s when NWA was coming yep. out. And then he was doing his parody rap. Like, what y'all got to be angry for? Y'all live on a beach and Jerry Curl, motherfucker, da, 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 you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> I was like, what in Whoa. the world is He's going just on? just happened on the dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, both but, of y'all come from areas that are like, that poverty stricken. Like, there's, there's room for East and West Coast. But, you know, with the two and Biggie thing, that's that just set it all off right there and then all the hype and and everybody else. I think it was just everyone else's war and they just put it on their shoulders. Like, right. you represent all of us. No, and maybe there was a time, and I'm speculating, maybe they were like, I wish I could reach out to Tupac. I wish I could reach out to Biggie. But this is so far down the line, maybe I shouldn't. And maybe my friends are saying, don't do it. But well, I wish would have just reached out to each other, like I said. Right. And then also, too, you know, the stuff was still fresh. Oh, yeah. You know? And then a couple of months later, Tupac winds up dying. And then, you know, six months later, that's when Biggie wanted to try to unite everybody, which it was like the person that they were interviewing is like, hey, look, man, this is if, if he was his manager or whatever. He would have probably if the manager was actually thinking, "Hey, look, man, this is not probably the best time to go about going to the place that you actually want to try and unite anybody." This is still fresh in everybody's mind. They still think that they, that you had something to do with the shooting, with Tupac, with his death and everything. This is not the time to go about doing it. So his manager should have actually stepped up and said, "Hey, look, I understand what you're trying to do. We appreciate what you're trying to do, but right now it's not the right time, man. You're going into the lion's den." You may not come out of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think somebody, and I don't know who what his relation is to Biggie. He was he was saying, like, maybe it's not a good time. And he was like, you know, I'm from New York. If you got beef with somebody around the corner, you don't go around the corner. You you, you squash the beef first, like, or something like that, he put it. Um, but yeah, it was too soon because mm-hmm. um Biggie was trying to promote, I think life after death that album but it was way too soon for him to just go to california and try to promote it after tupac because like he was saying he and he just i guess he thought okay tupac's gone you know i'm really sad but you know maybe the air is clear enough and i feel like i can go because if i don't go to cali then maybe there won't be an opportunity for me to squash this beef but should have waited. It just, oh man, it was yeah, that was messed up. Like when I first heard Tupac die, I was in middle school, and um, and I was just crying. I was like, man, Tupac's died, and what I'm gonna do? I feel like there's a hole in my soul, you know, because I love Tupac. And then I found out Biggie died. I was like, man, okay. <laughs> like, cause I was on the West Coast, but I was on the East Coast. 
You see, I like both. I I always I was always the one who liked both. Well, now I like both, John, and I'm older. Like now, I'm sad that Biggie's gone. But right. when I was a kid, I was like, I don't care about him dying. I care about Tupac dying. <laughs> you know? Right? Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. See, with me, on the other hand, I I I don't know. I guess I was different. You know, mm-hmm. I like both of them because I like listening to two different aspects from the different roles that they came in. Yeah. And everything and try to learn from both sides. And everything. I because wish we both would have done an album together. That would have been, you know what? You would think with them being a, being close as they were, it's like, hey man, you know, I know our two styles are too different and everything, but let's try to do a collaboration together. Let's see what that would sound like. Because I could just imagine the beats would actually be off the chain because of the fact that you have a West Coast beef, a mm-hmm. West Coast, Coast beat mixed in with the hard edge in your face new york beat oh yeah that thing would have added in a lot of flavor to it to oh, be honest man. With you. that would have been awesome yeah I, I like the fact too that people like tupac is alive but biggie isn't i was like well can not wait a minute you can't have it's like salt and pepper you actually have that both you know? making album still i'm like well according to people he was a workaholic he got like but millions of songs that are just coming out exactly and i know that we're all an hour into this and everything now and we're probably gonna end up ending it soon but i do want to add in the fact though biggie's the one who found little kim oh yeah and you know whenever i first heard little kim (laughs) and everything she just comes out slinging like like a dude (laughs) i'm like okay what ladies Everything that you said that was just just um went on ahead, degraded women and everything else. She, you might as well just go on ahead and forget about all that now because now you have a woman doing it mm-hmm. and everything, and that's exactly why that winded up happening. So basically, now you actually have women that can actually support another woman. Oh in yeah, hip hop culture and everything. Yeah, and it's not just men that are saying this; it's women that are saying it. And matter of fact, women are more descriptive with certain things than guys are. Yeah, you can see the little Kim influence, like with Cardi B and mm-hmm. Megan Thee Stallion and Dojo the Cat and, and all these other uh, female rappers. Like you, you can see that that hardcoreness that they have. But you know, little Kim is the top, mm-hmm. and she always will be the boss of all the female rappers uh, that were after her. Like before her, you got Queen Latifah, Money Love, MC, you know. Uh, None of the female women. artists even topped that. Yeah, they called it about female empowerment, but in a different way. They didn't get into like the sexuality. Like little Kim, like Puff Daddy <laughs> said, and that's the way he described it is accurate. He said little Kim is the type where she would put an apple in a guy's mouth <laughs> and then tie him up. And then spank him. I was like, "Yeah, that's that's yep. cool, Kim. That's, that's good. Yeah, that's a good analogy. That's a good analogy." And the guy would say, "More, please, right? Yep, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, women <laughs> love little Kim because they were saying, like, in the documentary, she would say stuff we would think, but you know, with the whole, and there was nobody like her at the time. So you can imagine what she was getting, like backlash from some people." Unless like, Missy Elliott, that's not ladylike. You know, women aren't supposed to do that. 
but right. to survive in this game, she had to be raunchy where, yeah, I'm sexual, but I'll shank you, you know? Right. <laughs> exactly. So let's see here. I think that's everything that I wanted to cover within the hip hop evolution. I do yeah. want you to come back again. So that okay. way we can do season two, which is past the mic, which is actually part of the, where Eminem come, came from that part of the neck of the woods with that, with freestyling, because I always like freestyle battle, battling though. So I love that. So okay. I would like to actually, I would love for us to just keep continue doing the hip hop evolution stuff, to be honest. Okay, good. Yeah, because I was like, let me just squeeze a little bit. No, we like, don't have to. You know, like the toothpaste where you don't got that much left, but you squeeze from the bottom. That's how I was doing this whole no. thing. Let me squeeze from the bottom. Okay. No, we're going to do a little bit of squeezing. And then after that, we're going to go and brush our teeth again for the next one. So, so I can throw away that toothpaste, right? I can right. Just get that a toothpaste is no good. Okay. Go Pack in season two toothpaste, not season okay, one. Thank toothpaste. you. I will. <laughs> All right. <laughs> one love. All right. <laughs> so with that being said, guys, that's the end of the show for tonight for our hip hop evolution. Um, I do want to make make something clear real quick. I know it was supposed to be on Mount Schmodown today. I had some stuff that came up. I couldn't be on it, unfortunately. But you know, I'll be on there next Saturday and it'll be at three o'clock central time. Like I said, four o'clock Eastern, two o'clock Pacific time for that. So make sure you go on ahead and visit Schmoes of the North. So that way you guys can actually catch me on that. If you love the Schmodown, if you don't know what the Schmodown is, it's the movie, a trivia show. That's basically in a wrestling uh, style format of everything. You have your inner geekdom championships. You actually have your star Wars championships. You have, different championships for different things. So go in and check out the Schmodan and then also too check out um, Schmoes of the North over there where Frenchie is. They do a lot of things. As a matter of fact, a matter of fact, we're actually doing our Mighty Ducks uh, game changer reviews and everything else over there too. And it's also getting converted to over here at the same time. So we're doing an after show for the Mighty Ducks game changers. So check that out on Mondays at, Mondays and everything at 8 o'clock Central Time, 9 o'clock Eastern, and of course 6 o'clock Pacific Time. So tomorrow night, Charlie and I are going to be doing um, Bad, it's just called Bad Ride, and it's actually a Netflix movie, and this is a movie that I just checked out recently over the weekend. I wound up liking it. I laughed my ass off the whole entire time. It's called Bad Trip, not Bad, bad Ride. True. Okay. Yeah, Bad Trip. So you know, that's actually one of the movies that I wanted up laughing my ass off on from start to finish. So, but that being said, if you guys want to go ahead and donate to the show, if you guys want to, if you guys don't can't do it, I totally understand. But how do you do that? You just go ahead, go to www.gofundme.com forward slash movie lovers podcast for that. And then of course you can go on ahead and visit us at www.movieloversnight.com for all your inhuman needs and wants. Of course you can go on ahead, go to Facebook at movie lovers, TV lovers night over there. Underneath the same brand as well on Instagram and also on Pinterest. Of course you can get this, uh, this episode on where you guys get your audio only podcast at. And then of course you can also follow me on movie lovers unit over there. And then of course you can follow me at movie lovers unit on stereo we do shows over there as well. Right now, we're taking a little bit of a break and just doing YouTube videos and things like that. So stay tuned through the YouTube channel and also Facebook for more further updates. Then, of course, if you guys want to get in touch with me, what do you do? You just go on ahead and 
Email me at movieloversunite at gmail.com. And that's everywhere that you can actually find me at and how to get in touch with me. It's been real, guys. It's been fun. I can't wait to do this again. And always until next time. Thank you, Tamika. I do appreciate you being on. Oh, and before you go, John, you got we gotta show our shirts. Oh yeah. This is my M&M t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wrapping Ooh, This is my Tupac t-shirt from Poetic <laughs> Justice, Tupac Forever. Okay. That is just awesome, though. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. So, you. you're very welcome. And you can find this T-shirt, the Eminem T-shirt, at Hot Topic, and that's where oh, you can find I think it. I got mine from Amazon. Okay. And you can also find Tamika's shirt over at Amazon or Hot Topic. <laughs> or Hot Topic. <laughs> so, anyways, guys, like I said, it's been real. It's been fun. I can't wait to do this again. And thanks again, Tamika, for being on. Yes. Bye bye. <clears throat> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.